So we're going to be in Joel 3. We are continuing. We've got two more weeks of our Joel series, uh, and I'm, I'm uniquely excited about today for a couple reasons. I'll admit to you, I was up until about 11.30-ish uh, finalizing this message because, of course, as God usually works, I had a blueprint, and God said, your blueprint's terrible. Here's mine. Uh, and because of that, Ben Lawrence was getting 11 p.m. texts that he didn't respond to because <laughs> he was asleep as I should have been. But we're going to be in Joel 3, 1 through 16. Before we read and pray, um, I'm just going to go ahead and give you ahead of time the direction we're going and some of my goals for this morning uh, that hopefully will be beneficial to all of us. Um, but the simple uh, blueprint of where we're going is this. God's judgment, God's provision, and our decision. All three of these are going to be covered in 16 verses, and we'll get to how. Uh, one other thing I want to do this morning is I want us to get a little bit into the meat of the prophecy that we're about to read. Keep in mind, Joel is a prophetic word, uh, both for Judah as well as the end times. So we're going to talk uh, probably primarily in verses 1 through 6 for my Bible people that are going to be in there taking notes and underlining. We're going to hit what God is trying to say to us because it's prophetic, meaning the future. And then after that, we're going to get into an applicable time, uh, a time of application in our own hearts and souls and the decision that we have to make. Cool? So let's pray. Let's prepare our hearts and we'll dive in. Father, I just submit this morning that I have nothing to offer, but you have everything to offer. It's in our weakness that you are made strong. So I pray that myself primarily as well as my brothers and sisters in the room, that if we're in here feeling weak, we understand that is the battleground you work best on. So would we submit ourselves to you this morning, Father? Would it be about nothing but you? Anything that I say that's not of you, I pray that it falls to the wayside. Anything that is uh, encouraging and truth, that it would stick in our hearts in a way that changes us. We love you. We trust you. And let's weird out some new people. All God's people sang, amen, come on now. Everybody now. Oh, wait. I'm clapping with you, Chris. Come on, we clap. Oh. Y'all got better rhythm than the average church. I'm just going to put that out there. You ever been in a church where no one can clap on beat and you're just like grace on you, but you're really distracting my worship right now? Some of y'all about to turn around and slap a neighbor. I got it. All right. Let's get into Joel. Joel 3, open up your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have your physical Bible, again, we're big on we want you in the word for yourself. You need to be in it so you can pull that up on your phone, Bible app, whatever you want to do. Um, I'm going to read it for us. It will also be up on the screens, but let's read Joel 3, starting in verse 1, my Bible titles that the nations judged. In those days, and at that time, this is referring back to Alan's message last week, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine to drink. We're going to talk about that verse here in a few minutes. Verse 4. Now what have you against me? This is God speaking to the nations. It's interesting to read it that way. Now what have you against me, Tyre and Sidon and all your regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something I've done? 
If you're paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you have done. For you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. See, I'm going to rouse them out of the places to which you sold them. And I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah and they will sell them to the Sabians and nation far away. The Lord has spoken. Verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Ruse, how do you say that? Ruse, rouse, rouse. Okay, yeah, but now I'm questioning myself. Thank y'all, family. We're doing this together. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say, I am strong. Come quickly, all you nations from every side, and assemble them, and assemble there. Bring down your warriors, Lord. What a day that'll be. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the nations on every side. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes for the winepress is full and the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Notice we named this series Valley of Decision. So today we will get into that. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon will be darkened and the stars will no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem and the earth and the heavens will tremble. And this verse right here is just, I mean, it's just the gospel, is it not? The second half of verse 16. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. So we're into this final Peace, final, the latter half of Joel's prophetic word. Uh, and again, I hope you've enjoyed uh, to some extent learning, because I know for me as I got into this book, I had read it, but I'm not sure I had ever really like tried to pull out of it. And yet it's so important. And we've dove over the last few weeks deeply into uh, the insight that God can give us from these end time prophecies. Like we see here language describing <clears throat> the judgment of the nations, that God will enact his justice on the world in line with how he created it and the truth he established. And as we read these first 16 verses, I'd imagine for many of us, uh, specifically people newer to the faith, which is completely okay, or curious about the faith, you read something like this, and it's just like, well, first of all, what the heck am I reading? And second of all, this seems, this seems harsh, this seems tough, like, I don't want this to be my first introduction to God because it seems like uh, all of a sudden we're talking about how he's going to, you know, take over and destroy everything that's not of him and all this stuff. And it's a little bit of a hard read. Seems intense. And yet we're going to sit in that intensity because God gave it to us. So the first thing we're going to talk about is God's judgment. God's judgment. This seems intense. Again, you read it. It's not the most fluffy feeling ever. There's a lot of scripture that's just so encouraging to your heart and uplifts you and stuff. I made the joke a few weeks ago when we launched the series. I was like, this isn't the type of scripture you see on the pretty Etsy boards, right? You don't walk into someone's beautiful kitchen that Chip and Joanna pretty much designed for them. And on the wall you see, and the Lord will bring retribution among the wicked. <laughs> You'd walk straight out that dinner party. You don't often see that, right? And yet it's the word of God. Yet it matters. Yet it was given to us intentionally. So I, I, even though it uh, seems intense, my argument this morning is maybe it shouldn't. 
Maybe it seems intense because we live in a world that tells you you can do what you want, how you want, and there's no consequences for anything. And yet that's not how God speaks. And I'll say this, I'm at least have become much more interested in how God speaks than what the world wants to tell me. Because I've been fed garbage and it doesn't taste good. Anybody? So we're going to lean into this. So what's this saying to us? It's saying a lot of things, and we are, we're going to break it down a little bit verse by verse here in a second. Uh, this will be the meat of some of the prophetic look that we're going to take. But this is effectively telling us super clearly that the nations against God will be judged, period. And it won't be pretty. That's the second part. He lets us know there will be judgment, and it's not necessarily going to be pretty, and for us then, I think we have to, before we even get into this, we have to acknowledge that's why faith matters so much. That's why we're here and why it's important because if we don't pay attention and it doesn't matter to us, then what's the point of having faith? What, like, it's the whole idea of, well, I, if I don't know I need saved, I won't look for a what? Savior. If I don't believe I'm sick, I'm not going to go to the hospital. So when we read end time prophecies telling you, hey, this will happen, this will come to pass, and it's pretty brutal, it's actually a warning that's doing what? Loving us. So that if we were to pay attention, it's going to make us realize how much more important faith is, specifically faith in Christ. So we see this, and for me, it just says, like, this is why life isn't something to play games with. Like, I used to read stuff like this as a younger person and be like, dude, this is why Christianity's weird. Like, I can't, I can't do it. Like, y'all weird. Like, what is this even saying? You know what I mean? And now I look at it, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, because life's not a game. Thank you, Father, because I used to do whatever I wanted, and I was destined for this, and I'm not anymore. Anybody here not destined for that anymore? Uh-huh. That's worth celebrating. And we're going to celebrate it later. So life's not worth playing with. And maybe more specifically, and we'll get into it, God isn't someone worth playing with. Hey, can I tell you, we live in a culture of people who play with God. We live in a culture of people who are enjoying their cute little games until they're not cute anymore. Enjoying their opinions on Facebook until those opinions meant nothing and never will. And I'm telling you, especially my younger generation, we are saturated with ideologies and people's thoughts, and we're flooded with intellect that's meant to lead us away from the only truth, and I just need you to hear me because we need to say things bold like this. That's only cute until it's not. So don't ever, friends and family in this room, the people of God, be discouraged by those trying to push you away from faith who have all their opinions and all their thoughts and this, that, and the other because it's only cute until it's not. You want to mock God? Okay, he's going to let you do it for now, but the minute he shows up, your mouth's not going to be open anymore. So for me, my young generation loves to do things like that, and I'm telling them, hey, you can do that all you want. Doesn't change my faith, but I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me so you realize so that this isn't you. I think people say things like, we were talking about this in our pastor's meeting, and Ben worded it so, so well. We do this dual dynamic in the culture where we say things like, well, if God's all good, how could he send people to hell? But then we also say, well, if God's good, then how could this happen? Wait, you can't have both. You can't have both. You can't wonder why bad things happen in the world and then also wonder why God would send people to hell. Do y'all hear me? That's so backwards thinking. You, you pick one or the other. Either God is a God of justice who sends people to hell and therefore punishing those who have done poorly 
or God is not good and therefore he lets everything happen and there's no consequences. Only one of those is biblical. So when we look at the world and we say things like, well, if God's real, then how would this happen? Well, it happened and God's going to pay it back later. And hell is one of those ways. The way, really. Did I come too intense for y'all this morning? Y'all ready? Y'all ready to go talk to Jimmy on the corner who's been discouraging you? All of a sudden you're fired up and you're like, you ain't got nothing. And then you're like, well, listen to the message because I didn't take enough notes. (laughs) See, I got y'all. Y'all have to be able to do it yourselves. So let's go. This is the importance, this is my point, of understanding scripture, of reading it, of diving in, to really like dissecting, oh my goodness, what's this saying? Joel 3 is not weird, it's life-changing. Joel 3 is not heavy, it's life-giving. Do we hear the difference? And I'm about to go way over time, so we got to get into this. we got to start exegeting family, okay? So let's, let's go into it. Verse 1, verse 1. We see uh, this prophecy that God would restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Let's pause. We're here. We all about to do it. This is, many believe, a dual prophecy. The first part of the prophecy is the Babylonian exile, which we see later in the Bible. That has been fulfilled because Judah and Jerusalem were restored, right? We know this story. So we see part of this prophetic word already restored, which is amazing because when God's word comes to pass, it encourages us to do what? Trust him. Well, there's a second part to him saying he will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, and that is that in the end times, God will bring a final restoration for all of his people. He will bring Israel back together. There's two parts of Israel. There's a physical Israel, which is extremely important. Pay attention. But also, there's Israel that is us, God's people. The minute Christ came, we became God's people. We became what he would call Israel. So there's two sides to this, but both will come to pass. He's bringing this final restoration. Verse 2 says, I will gather all the nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. We're told, again, this is will happen. We're told that all the nations, a.k.a. all of us, and specifically those against God, will be brought into a place. It calls it a valley, and it says Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat translates to the Lord's judgment. That's all that means. So it's basically saying there will be a place and a time where people will be judged, where people will be judged. It's connected to Revelation 16. I would encourage you to go read that. We know so often Revelation as our book of prophetic word and end times, and yet places like Joel actually speak to things said in Revelation, which is crazy because there's thousands of years apart, and yet they speak to the same things. I'd encourage you to go check that out, Revelation 16, specifically verses 12 through 16. And it refers to this battle. It calls it the Battle of Armageddon. Many were to coincide that this Valley of Jehoshaphat and the Battle of Armageddon are the same event that God's speaking about. Of course, we don't know that for sure, but it's what we look at. So I'll ask this question. We're two verses in, and and Phil's already broke a sweat. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm getting into it, and y'all just looking at me. And it's like, there, there's judgment coming, right? That's what it's saying. It's telling us things are going to happen like, like there's literally a place and a time that the nations will be judged and it's going to be wild. Well, I think the next question we'd ask is why? That's an important question because, again, uh, this isn't like the most normal thing to, to uh, think about. Well, you're telling me that God's all good and all loving and yet one day there's going to be this, like, this tough event. Why? Well, I think verses 2 through 6. Speak to it. I got a yep. There we go. See, come on. Someone's with me. 
verses 2 through 6 speak to it. It talks about the sin. It says, it says, I'll put them on trial for what I did, what they did to my inheritance, my people, Israel. Because they scattered my people among the nations. They divided up my land. They cast lots for my people. They traded boys for prostitutes, four through six. We already read it, but it says, hey, like you, you sold silver and gold and carried off my finest treasures. You have, long story short, sinned against me. That's the heart of it. The issue is what? It's a three-letter word. Sin. Sin. The issue of sin, we were in our, our pastor's meeting dissecting this and trying to come up with what we think would be the most effective and efficient to help each other. And, and I love how Jeff just put it. He's like, man, we could talk circles around all the issues and what needs the most help and who needs this and where we should go. And yet there's one root issue, sin. Sin. So we see uh, that, and let's just stop there for a second. Why does God have to judge? Why will the nations and people who reject God be judged and punished one day? The answer is simple and complex. It's sin. God created a perfect world. Adam and Eve, we've heard the story from page one all the way to the end of the book. He created this perfect world. He gave us freedom, and we chose to turn from him. And because of that sin, uh, because of that choice, it's infected us ever since. We see it in our homes we see it in our streets. We see it from the book cover to cover. You see it in your life. You see it in other people's lives. It is everywhere. This is gossip to murder, to lying, to adultery. But I feel very compelled to highlight one thing. One thing. Coming from verse 3. It says, they cast lots for my people. They traded boys for prostitutes and they sold girls for wine to drink. And then if you go to verse 6, it says that you sold them. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks. What does this sound like to you? Human trafficking. Sounds like sex trafficking. Friends, I, I want to just spend a moment here. I feel so compelled as I was studying this, and Ben also brought it up, to shine a light on a specific sin, a specific action that God hates, and it's human trafficking. And it was prophesied ahead of time that this would be a prevalent thing. Do you know how prevalent it is today? It is the number, yep. And I'll tell you this, 27.6 million actively are estimated to be in human trafficking. A.K.A. people sold for something. 79% of that is for sexual exploitation. So you do some numbers on how many million people right now are, are it's happening. This is real. And the thing is, I don't even believe this is directly a prophecy necessarily for today, but what we're seeing is the fruition of what God said. We are seeing people be sold, cast lots for them, boys traded for things, girls sold for money or substances or whatever it may be. Friends, it's active. It's real. It's happening. So what does that mean for Christians? We have to do what? Pay attention pay attention. It was happening back then, and he prophesied that it would still be happening today. This is what the nations are doing. It's something they're going to be punished for. So I felt, especially with us going into our mission series uh, in two weeks, which we are just going to get into this, I was like, thank you, Lord, because we're just going to start now. What I'm going to do is, if even in this moment, you're like, you're really, you're really turning a heartstring here, Phil. Like, I did not know that. I didn't know that many people. And by the way, in the sexual expo exploitation part of that, 99% are girls or women. 99% are girls or, or women, usually young girls. So this is turning a heartstring and you're like, gosh, there's going to be judgment and I need to play my part. I just wanted to highlight two organizations, two organizations 
uh, that you can look into. If you wanted to have more information, see more about this, see how you can play a role uh, in what to do. The first one is called the A21 campaign. How many of you have heard of Christine Kane? Christine Kane, she's a speaker and traveler and writer. She's amazing. Uh, amazing woman of God. Uh, she is, I believe, the president of this organization. But they, I've heard her speak live a couple times and share stories of what they do uh, in the outermost. And they go travel and they have, I mean physically, pulled people out of trafficking. Physically pulled people out of being enslaved for money or sex or whatever it may be. So please take the time to look this one up. I have one more I wanted to share. The International Justice Mission. Uh, the president's, I'm blanking on his last name, Gary something. Um, again, have heard him speak live about this, share testimonies of how they go into poverty-inflicted places where people literally, the way they make money, oh, there's some heartbreaking stories. I want to go too into it. Look up for yourself, the International Justice Mission. And there's so, so many others. Uh, we even have some in the room that have helped with these things. But look into them because it's God's heart. It's God's heart. Like we would be doing you a disservice to not point you to ways you are supposed to make a difference. That you have the opportunity to go love others and play a role in God's inevitable coming, which is what we're reading about. So we pray that God would use, huh? Yes, and that is the other one we were talking about this morning. There's an active movie out in theaters that you can go watch. Thank you, brother, called Sound of Freedom, which is exactly what that's about. So please, if you like movies, that's an easy date night. Go be educated and uh, hopefully challenged. Thank you, Brother Craig, yes. So we pray, we pray with that. I just wanted to sit there for a minute that God would continue to use us and move us to action, amen, because we need to understand that regardless of the cause, that's a big one, right? Human trafficking seems like this big one, but the issue's not that. What is it? Sin. It's sin, and it's important and it matters and it's why God is coming. But that leads me to the second place we're going to talk. That God, through Joel in this prophetic word, so clearly emphasizes, hey, there are problems and there will be retribution for them. And it is coming and it will look a certain way. And there's ways you can kind of see the signs. So please pay attention. Look into Revelation, all these things. And yet, he also encourages us what? For those that would trust me, it will be paid for. So the second thing is God's provision. God's judgment, which we pay attention to, and we wouldn't even need the provision if judgment wasn't coming. But the second thing is God's provision. Look at the end of verse 16. As I highlighted it already, but it's just, to me, it's, it's just the whole gospel. It's, it's, we, we always joke, we've said this before, like God likes big butts, right? The word, okay? Because so often in scripture, he'll talk about, hey, the consequences of sin and how serious it is and all this. And then there's this, there's this big but. But God. But for the love of God. But for God so loved the world. All these different places. And he does it right here. He gives us 16 verses of a prophetic word of judgment. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people. A stronghold for the people of Israel. The Lord will be a refuge for his people, family. I feel like 
the, just these types of, of verses that we see throughout Scripture that bring the redemptive nature of God. Uh, one thing Jeff has been teaching me is, is what they'll call guiding hermeneutics. As you read the word, you should read the word through a certain filter so that everything is core, like a co-aligning. His guiding hermeneutic is that God is love. So everything you read here has to go through that filter. So even when you read about judgment, you're reading it through the filter of what? God is love, therefore he loves me, which is why he's telling me this. And I see verse 16, and it says he'll be a refuge for his people. And we're reading 16 verses of uh, incoming and pending judgment. And yet, for me, it just has to be so important because why there's so many amazing things that the Lord says and does, Jesus being the primary one, we see this hard word like, hey, things will be accounted for, will be paid for. You can't just act crazy and think it's going to be all right. But God, do you know it's all about him? Every ounce of everything that has weight and every second and every minute of every hour of every day is about him. You can do whatever you want, however you want. You can achieve all the most things. You can be rich. You can be poor. You can live a great life. You can live a miserable life, whatever. But God, it's about him, not you. That's a really humbling, especially in American culture, because we love some us. Man, the number of people I sit with, well, they start talking, and I'm listening. I've learned to be a listener. And the whole time I'm like, your problem is you. <laughs> Holy moly. Man, you've pointed out 14 people that you think are the problem, and I'm like, the problem sitting in your seat, okay? Everywhere you go, there you are. That's why you got so many problems. That's for a different day, friends. But in the end, it doesn't matter how much I mess up doesn't matter how great I am, right? But God, oh my goodness, what if you walk through life and everything you did, every encounter you had, every time someone frustrated you, every time someone disappointed you in your head, you're like, but God. Oh, you, my, well, I didn't get the job I wanted, but God. The relationship I wanted didn't pan out, and I really, you know, I was a but God. Hey, maybe you're on the back end and you started to have some disappointments. You've seen a divorce. You've seen a health diagnosis. You've seen whatever, but God. That changes everything, doesn't it? All of a sudden, our problems go from taking up our entire view to they're very small. Why? But God. Oh, oh, you thought you were going to take me out. Well, even if you do, I know where I'm going, but God. Oh, I didn't make the money that I thought I was supposed to make, and I'm not as content as I thought that I wanted to be. But God, my joy is from him, amen. My peace is from him. My contentment is from him. So guess what? All of a sudden, because of but God, I didn't need anything else. This message was not called but God, but maybe it should have been. I'll jump off that tangent. Hopefully that was for somebody, amen. But God, <laughs> he must bring judgment. But you know what he also did? He brought provision. He brought provision for anybody that would turn to him, anybody who would choose him, anybody that would go to his side, if you will, which means that we can complain all day that God shouldn't judge, but he provided a way out, which is what a good God does. So the question isn't if he's good, it's as if we will join him. The question's never been, well, do we deserve judgment? Yeah, we deserve judgment, bruh. My goodness, we got some of the most self-righteous. We are so self-righteous, y'all. We'll be like, well, I'm, I haven't lived that bad of a life. I did six things of charity, so I'm pretty sure I'll make it in. No, you won't. Man, let's open up your bedroom door that one time, okay? I mean, don't play with me. The things you've said to those people, the ways you've talked when nobody's looking, the things that we do when no one's paying attention. You aren't good enough. You'll never be good enough. He's great enough. But God. 
And even in Joel, we see, but God. And so we can do, say the things and have all the reasons. The truth of the matter is this. There was judgment. There is judgment that's coming, but there's provision for those who would choose it. And his name is Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Every Christian church in the world, hopefully, preaches about Jesus. And if they don't, first of all, it ain't a Christian church. And second of all, you shouldn't go there, okay? Uh, don't, do not give your tithe and money to those people, all right? God bless them. We hope they come to know them. But Jesus should be center. The Bible calls him what? The keystone, the cornerstone. Why would we not make everything about him then? So we do. And we see that he's the provision he made a way. He provided amidst us for us. The Lord, verse 16, will be a refuge for his people. So friends, have you ever felt low? Have you ever felt betrayed, hurt, lost, beaten down? The Israelite people in this passage are literally, it's being prophesied that they're going to be sold away. It's not a good ordeal. If you felt that way, if you're feeling low, you have it. I've felt these things. You need to hear it. God provides. It's not always going to look the way you want, and often it won't. Do you think the Israelite people, God's people, wanted to be sold? Can you imagine when Joel's bringing this word? I'd be like, uh, back up, Joel, please. Could you reassess with the Lord if that's what has to happen before you provide and bring refuge? And yet God knows what he's doing. And he, they still had to go through the hard things. They still had to walk through the storms. We're not a church. If you've been here at all, you'll hear this a million times. We do not preach walking around the storm. We don't preach prosperity and that everything's going to feel good all the time. Guess what? If you've lived life for 17 seconds, you know that's not true. My daughter came out the womb doing what? Screaming and crying and bloody. Sound like life, anybody? <laughs> so I'm on a kick right now. Whatever you're going through, friends, God provides. What you're going through doesn't change that. Your perceived lack or your perceived fortune doesn't change that he provides. He is with you, for you, present and loving. He's holding the umbrella in the storm. He doesn't want to walk you around it. You've all heard the footprints in the sand. Come on, it's our favorite thing to put on our calendars, all right? While you were hurting and there was only one set of footprints, it was him carrying you. You thought you were walking. You felt beat down. He was picking you up the entire time. He was picking me up the entire time, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people. Amen? My heart rate is up. I just want to take a moment for anyone in the room that even as you hear that, it's just hard. I think you just need to absorb it. You need to soak it in. He's your refuge. He's for you. He's with you. It might not look like it. It might not feel like it. The funny thing is our feelings never mattered. <laughs> And I look forward to the day where my feelings will be drastically changed because I'll be with him forever. He's with you. He's for you. God has provided. Joel tells us judgment is imminent family and we should pay attention. But provision is present. And his name is Jesus. Amen. So that brings us to our last point. Our decision. God's judgment. God's provision. And our decision. Verse 14, it's what we base this entire series off of. It says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. When I hear multitudes, multitudes, you know what I immediately think of? Is it Matthew 5? I have a note, but I want to remember these things. I think it's Matthew 5. Well, wherever it's at. Uh, Jesus talking, and he says what? That the road is wide, that leads to what? 
destruction. The valley that he's talking about, the place that the nations will be brought to be judged, what does it say? Multitudes, multitudes. You know what that sounds like to me? A wide road. We're warned throughout Scripture, like even if you get into the New Testament, which we tend to think is like the, the more happy stuff, right? Oh, gosh, if you're really diving in, it's still talking about the same thing. It's still warning you about the same stuff. Multitudes, multitudes. Friends, can I just put this out there? I don't want to be a part of the multitudes. Anybody, anybody want to be a part of the multitudes? If you put your hand up, we'll talk later. We got some intercessors. But the, for me, uh, for us, it says in the valley of decision, and again, we talked about this even in our pre-prayer meeting. We looked pretty deeply into this word decision because that, that can mean a lot of things, and we could get into a lot of theology there, and we're not going to do that necessarily this morning, nor do I, am I convinced that would be beneficial. But the word decision means decision. Like we looked into it. There's no ulterior thing. This is whatever. In the valley of decision, a.k.a. make a choice. A.k.a. all of us, every human ever has to make a choice. There's two levels to this. And we're going to get into it and give you an opportunity to respond in a second. But I'll be honest, we, we were going through this, and it was actually over multiple meetings. And we look into all of it, and the word decision is just, it's there and it's present. And what we talked about is this. There's two sides to the decision. God made his decision, and his is the most important. He made his decision that we were worth dying for. He also made his decision that for those that don't choose him, judgment will come. The decision is done. We can do nothing about that. And yet, there's also our decision. Every human, ever, our decision, one that we have to take. Even John 3:16, the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anybody who would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's a decision on the table. Sounds a lot like but God will be a refuge for his people, doesn't it? Isn't that cool? And this prophecy in Joel just simply states multitudes, multitudes in this valley, in this area of decision. I think all of us, whether or not we know it, are in some type of a valley of decision. Let me just talk about two of them. One, there is an ultimate decision each person much, must make. Whether you choose the Lord or not, whether you accept him in and let him as Lord and Savior of your life, which we're told over and over is what's on. And guess what? It's so beautiful because it's free and yet some, for some reason it's such a hard decision. Why? Because we have an enemy who doesn't want us to choose it. Why else would something beautiful and free be so hard to choose? Because someone's whispering in your ear telling you not to choose it. So for anybody in the room that has not made that decision, shortly we're going to have a moment here where we're going to give you that opportunity to say yes to the Lord because he is worth saying yes to. He's the best yes you can ever give. But the truth of the matter is whether or not you say yes today or tomorrow or whenever, it is your decision to make and it is no one else's fault. No one else's fault. We're putting it on the table for you now. Let those who have ears hear. But there's a second side to it. For us in the room that know the Lord, that have made that ultimate decision, I want to argue something with us, that we have valleys of decisions every single day. The valley of Jehoshaphat, if you look again into Revelation 16 and even some of the verbiage that goes with Jehoshaphat, it's, it's envisioning a literal war in a valley. Like people going in to fight and they have to do what? Choose a side. Can I argue with you? If you've already made that ultimate decision, you're already with the Lord. You know him. You have a valley of Jehoshaphat today. A lot of them. You got a bunch of valley of Jehoshaphats tomorrow and the next day. 
And I want to challenge and encourage us that as Christians, we are called to attempt to honor the Lord and follow the Lord in a way that every day our decision is him and not the things around us. It's really easy, is it not, to throughout the day say I love Jesus, but love a whole bunch of other things. Say that I have joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things, and not act like any of it, not actually have any of it. Well, I say that God's my peace, but I get really angry a lot. Well, I say that God's my provision, but if my bank account's not looking right, I freak out and anxiety's always happening. Well, I say that God's my contentment, but if I can't get that right relationship and we aren't meshing or whatever, well, I'm not content at all. What, what's the valley for you? What's the valley of decision that even today you got to start making the decision for him, not for something else? So friends, this, this is for all of us. This is not just for someone in the room who's curious and you're like, well, I showed up here and you're young and weird and sweaty. It's not just for you, though it is for you. It's not just for the person who's been doing this for 50 years and you've been trying to faithfully follow the Lord and you serve in church and you've loved and raised your family. Guess what? You still got valleys today. So what's your decision? So what we're going to do here in a second is we're going to offer a time of communion. Now you may think, Phil, you were just really intense and now we're going to go into communion. Yeah. It's exactly what we're going to do. Because do you know what that wine, that grape juice represents? Spilled blood. So maybe we should be intense, huh? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into a time where we'll have some music in the background. Communion is on both sides. It's the cup that has the juice and it has the cracker. For those of you who maybe don't know what they represent, of course many of you do. Uh, The juice represents the blood spilled for you. So you take in remembrance. The cracker represents his body, Jesus Christ's body, broken for you. And you take it to remember him. But here's what we're going to do. For those that don't know him in the room, the word's clear. This isn't for you. You're not to take. And that's okay. That's not against anybody. In fact, I've sat in church services as not taken because I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. But can I encourage you, we're going to have some people up here in a minute. We'll put the lights down a little bit. We're going to go into worship. We're going to leave this time open that you can come up. You can make the decision in your valley for the first time ever and then go take communion or remembrance of your Savior, whether he saved you 15 seconds ago or 15 years ago. Amen. So I'd encourage you, if that's your heart and you're curious, there'll be a handful of people up here. Just come. Come ask a question. Come pray. We don't stink that bad. I promise. But for my friends that are already saved and you're going to come up here and you've taken communion a thousand times, a million times, you know what it's for. First and foremost, get with your Lord and Savior. Please don't just do this as some processional thing that we're supposed to do. No, sit and savor what he did for you as you remember him. Don't just take it and leave. Take it and sit with him because he didn't die and not. He's still here, family. You hear me? He's in the room right now. I want to encourage us in this. This is definitely out of Matthew 5. I think I got the first reference wrong. Jesus also said that if you're going to bring something to the altar, but you got something against your brother, you got something to confess, deal with that first. So for my family in the room, myself included, I would just encourage you in this. Maybe you can't call someone right now and ask for forgiveness, but you can go to the Lord about it. You can come up here and get on your knees for a minute and ask for forgiveness and say, God, I don't want this anymore, and then take so whatever that looks like for you, I would love to see a hundred of us just saying, God, this, I'm, I'm done with this. And before I remember what you did, I want to honor what you did because I want to get rid of something in my life that's not of you. Your body was not broken for me to stay the same. 
So we're going to open this time, and wherever you feel led, uh, please go, take your time. We're going to give you some moments, so don't feel rushed to come straight up uh, as you would please. Again, if you need some prayer, you want some direction, uh, you want to give your life, you want uh, someone to pray, confession over you, whatever it might be, we'll have some people up here. But this is for you, this is for you and the Lord. And then after, I don't know, 10-ish, 20, 37 hours, who knows, we'll go into worship. We'll praise him because he is worthy to be praised. All right, this time is yours.